This is Moss Whelan and Story in Mind. And just off to the library. So I thought I'd bring you along. And the topic is Literary Device The Foil. And there's to define foil. So a foil is a character that is standing in opposition. So it's it's not necessarily the antagonist. It, it's a character that's, say, along for the ride or um, part, of, part of the story but not actively in opposition and let's just <laughs> let's just explore that a little bit more the, my first thought was oh sort of like uh, Han Solo who's quite contrary in Star Wars and he's in opposition to pretty much everybody right you know you pay him and then he'll start arguing along the way that um, the Jedi Force doesn't exist and which way to go. So I say he doesn't, he doesn't follow orders particularly well. Uh, he knows his business. I think that's it too, is that, you know, he sort of specializes, sort of, in one area. So, you know, he feels that he can contradict. And two, that changes over time as he, you know, witnesses things and realizes that certain people uh, have certain skills, skill sets. And there's an excellent diagram, uh, in this screenplay writing book that I use. And the book is My Story Can Beat Up Your Story by Jeffrey uh, Sketcher. And and it shows all of the, the differences between characters. So say you have all the characters who are on the same side Let's use the Star Wars cast of characters. And even though there even though you have characters who are on one side or another, there's still this conflict going on. Even with uh, the droids, C3PO, R2D2. They bicker from the beginning to the end, you know, or they have this, they have this doubt going on between them. And I just watched Star Wars again recently, rewatched. And 
it was great because it was it was almost fresh. It'd been so long since I'd seen it. And I was able to pick out moments that say I had read about in this screenplay manual. And it's like, oh yeah, there it is. You know, there's the the bad guys are arguing with Vader, right? They're on his side, but there's still this conflict and disagreement. So it's not all just, you know, oh, you know, we're all together on the the good side. Oh, we're all together on the bad side. And I found that helpful, (laughs) hopefully for future writing. Uh, But I can still see for myself, I can see that that there is this... how How can I call it? Uh, in 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 what I wrote, that there was this there was a lot of disagreement between characters, you know, on the protagonist side. Characters that didn't like my protagonist, uh, didn't trust her, and so I'm just thinking about that. I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, as far as the antagonists. I don't think I had, I'm trying to think of a case where I had a disagreement between antagonists. Let's just jump back to the, the big foil, um, the tin foil. So let's see, in, in this diagram for Star Wars that Jeffrey Sketcher is using. I'm pretty sure it was that he was getting this notion of uh, like he had all these terms like um, contagonist and uh, terms for each of these characters like these sub-roles between, beneath uh, the antagonist and the protagonist. So, you know, Princess Leia had a role, and Solo had a role, and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi had a role. And if memory serves correct, it was all from Dramatica. I believe that was that's what it was called, which you can find online, and they have a lot of resources that are open. Say like a explaining glossary of terms and things like that. So the foil. So it's not enough just to have the foil. Um, There's got to be other characters. There have to be supporters. Do there have to be? It's a good idea to have supporters. A number of, you know, um, story manuals or, you know, people who are deconstructing story structure. Deconstructing might not be the right word, but... 
books that talk about story structure will sometimes in the second act they'll talk about friends and allies and that the character is you know getting support finding support in unlikely places and that this is assisting them I would argue it's sort of building them up for the midpoint the false success before this crash down to the uh, crisis point One of the descriptions of the foil's function is that the foil uh, is, a, is a contrast. And right away I was thinking, oh, juxtapose that we get out of decisive uh, moment Unlocked the first level of this game. So where were foils, juxtaposition? So the what I understand of juxtaposition, this is another literary device, uh, is that you place two dissimilar things next to each other, and you achieve the contrast between them. You achieve. Uh, an effect. So, in a sense, it's kind of a synthesis, a combination of two things. And it could be a moment of uh, speculation, it could be a moment of just of description and noting, you know, the differences between two things. It could be in dialogue, it could be part of the thesis, you know, the theme that's being argued about. That's one thing that 
IMO, in my opinion, uh, Star Wars does. I, especially when it's pointed out to you, then you go, oh yeah, they are arguing about, you know, there's a theme going on. And, you know, it has to do with uh, belief versus technology. Uh, Particularly the Jedi belief and uh, moments of technology. And, and this argument is taking place on the Death Star. Like, you know, people are insulting uh, Lord Vader and so that insult is going on. And uh, it happens on board the Millennium Falcon. Uh, you know, uh, Obi Wan is attempting to show the young Jedi some skills, you know, putting on the helmet and doing some training with the lightsaber. And Han Solo is amused and says something about you know a blaster is better than you know. Some mumbo jumbo. And you could push it aside and say, well, does that really matter? You know, they're having this argument about something. This is getting into, say, what is the purpose of a character? I remember talking with one guy and he local writer and he said uh, that he doesn't he doesn't bother with that that's and I suspect it could be something like after the fact that you know, it becomes say during the editing and that's where he's plucking it out uh, but just the way it was stated it felt like there was an absolute lack of concern for it, which I get, you know, I didn't really uh, think about it that much until I picked up this particular um, (laughs) story mechanic guide, and so I picked that up, and, you know, all of a sudden it's referencing these, these roles, and how the roles connect to the to the theme, you know, the thesis, the antithesis, the synthesis. You know, and I, I just want to write. But my problem, too, I want to write well. I want to have people sort of go, you know, there's something deeper happening here. This is, this is a big thing going on. Uh, say, the beauty of Star Wars is that you can watch it and you're not thinking about it. You're not going... Oh, I see. They're arguing about technology. You know, 
versus belief. And I think that's a beautiful thing, is that you have... They're actually talking about something, talking about something important. I'd, I'd like to think that it has to do with the times, it has to do with the, you know, the director's... The director's own headspace. Uh, I don't know to what degree uh, this guy is spiritual, but you know there are these moments, these spiritual moments, and at the same time, it's also about technology. He's using technology. Uh, he studied with. He took at least a class with Joseph Campbell and was impressed enough. The, the story manual that George Lucas picked up was The Hero with a Thousand Faces. All right, here's the second level. I've got a went to library and have to go, go dark. And we are back. I just picked up Telempath, which is by Spider Robinson. And Spider Robinson is a, a local author. And I, I, I barely, I, I missed seeing him at the local convention and, and so this is this is me kind of reconnecting with uh, his stories and so I can say definitely, it's like, you know I've read this and I've read that it's weird too because you know, I might not get a chance to cross paths, but in a way I can sort of figuratively cross paths. I can check out the writing. and uh, This book is... I think it's his first book. And... So I'm curious about that, too. To sort of... You know, maybe I can read this one and then check out one in the future. His most recent. Right, we were talking about foils. What what options do foils open up? In one way, they create obstacles. Like they are an obstacle. They are. Uh, warning, but that warning could be good. Maybe that warning is from wisdom and advice. You know, be careful because of such and such. You know, the protagonist is brash and daring, ready to spring in action, but the foil is cautionary and, you know, urging to sort of think, you know, look before you leap. You could kind of say that it's 
two parts of a psyche or two halves of a psyche, you know, that you have this part of oneself that is the the brave, daring do, and then you have the, you know, the cautionary, wise, mentor side of oneself. So you could look at it that, like, two uh, expressions of oneself, which I like. I quite like that notion that stories, you know, it's really, it's a reflection of ourself. And when done well, it can speak to It could speak to the to the mass, like that they would go, "Oh yes, we understand. We we recognize these uh, parts parts of ourselves." Just making the dash across the. There we go. Mm, yeah, that this is a well-worn trope. We've also had it where, you know, those plot twists where it turns out the foil slash friend is actually the antagonist. I'm just recently... Uh, TV show, and I was watching British television, and there was a there was this search for a kind of kingpin, uh, the person you know in charge of the it's almost like the the Godfather, the you know the lead uh, lead villain, and it turns out to be you know the person. The policeman, you know, that we've been working to, beside for episodes. You know, not a terribly great guy, but we didn't think of him as this criminal mastermind. But it was explained later. It was sort of, you know, it's obvious. You know, you would know everything about, you know, various, you know, crime and who to talk to. And, you know, there's a, a little bit of an evil laugh. So it's all about reinventing the foil. Just jumping back to Star Wars, I think it's, say, a series of uh, foils that every relationship has its foils. From the, from the droids it's R two D two sent on this mission, a mission, and C three P O is beside himself. Right, he can't understand. You know, why are they heading off to this desert planet? Why are they looking for this wizard? I love too that one of the descriptions of uh, old Ben is you know the wizard or something like that. It's just great stuff. 
uh, we go on to Luke. Luke has his various foils. He's got his uh, uncle, you know, who's giving him this advice, right? You know, it's better to better to not go off to war. Better to sort of be a farmer. It's safer. They have problems with the, the sand people, but um, then let's see what other. I think just jumping to uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca. You know, Han, Sol- Han Solo is providing a- another kind of foil um, moment. Later in the series, like second movie, second movie, third movie, you know, these it feels like these ramp up. They get closer. They're arguing more. I I love I love the snark. I love the, um, the sort of disgust that. Kind of sort of moral disappointment everybody has with each other, and so let's let's build a foil. First of all, we need a protagonist, so. Let's uh, let's build a quick protagonist. Uh, her name is Jane, and she's a. Let's make this a urban uh, urban fantasy paranormal paranormal. It's, it's got all the tropes, right? We've got witches, vampires, and werewolves. And, and then there's Jane. And they're all vying for Jane's... You know, for some reason, you know, she's the linchpin. And they're all trying to sort of convince her to, to join up. Join sides with them. Pick a side. But there's a mystery that Jane has to solve. So we, we require a, a foil, and let's say it's a representative uh, from one of these sides. I'm thinking werewolf, like Oz in um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or the great, uh, the great wolf from uh, Twilight. And so our, our character, our foil, is arguing at every turn, arguing that, you know, the wolves are the best choice, and, uh, that, and too, that she ought to make a choice. Of course, it's all up to her. Jane is really intent on this mystery, but the foil is constantly saying, oh, just let the past lie. 
it's, you know, it's not, it's not important. Going a bit deeper into the character, though, we want, we want the four, <laughs> I sort of vacillate between sort of how to, how to design characters. We've got to have some kind of internal conflict. That's important. And one way to do this is to talk about uh, need versus flaw, you know, what the character needs. Uh, this character, let's call him Andrew. Andrew is I'd like to think that Andrew is actually connected to this mystery that that uh, his need is to cover up this he wants to have this uh, you know good relationship, whatever the relationship is. Of course it's going to get complicated, but. You know, he wants to have things okay. However, he's involved in this mystery. There's been a mysterious uh, death, and he's connected. So Andrew wants to come cover this up, but he needs to. He needs to actually be, come clean, be clean about this, uh, because it is actually a burden. And so he'll go back and forth about about his role, right? You know, and is the truth better? Uh, that could be the whole theme of the of this particular branch of the story. You know, is the truth be- better? So it's an argument back and forth between them. You know, uh, the antagonist is arguing. drop off my cart cart of books alright there we go happiness in a jar One of the, <laughs> I was just thinking about, because I said happiness in a jar, and I was like, has anybody ever said that before? And I've heard, I think I've heard happiness in a can. It's kind of like an advertising, um, oh, it's Cerebus. Let's go say hi. 
Oh, yes, we have three magnificent heads. Guarding the gate to hell. So confu confuse him with a wave. Now he's now he's going into berserk mode. <laughs> he's he's positioned himself at the at the uh, at the corner. Good good job good job. Right, happiness in a jar. I was thinking of uh, Shakespeare. That there's so much attributed to Shakespeare. I was thinking, though, that these sayings could be just, you know, he's pulling them in from around him. He's putting them on paper. They're attributed to him. But it might be very much like uh, terminology that is constantly being, you know, Created, recreated, bling, for example, swag, uh, reuses, reinterpretations of words like lit. It's another dog walking so quietly. I think that's the thing: is that Cerebus could not actually go for a walk, right? That you know, he's he's a yard dog, guard dog. And apparently the, ne the neighbors are not, <laughs> such as myself, I'm not too perturbed. It's not like a 24-hour yap. And uh, I suppose there's something too comforting about the guard dog who... It's almost like, say, alerting the neighbors that there's something going on. You know, perhaps it's worth investigating, looking out the window... Okay, the foil. So our our foil is arguing. Throughout the story, we have these moments, these beats of argument. And Andrew usually is taking the side of you know, you should you should let sleeping dogs lie, right? Just stay away from uh, stay away from this stuff. Giving examples. You know, I had an uncle who, or you know, that's how I became a werewolf. And just thinking about what kind of werewolves he would be, and, and two, this would define the other three groups. I sort of like the cliqueishness, like say, almost like a high school clique where you get involved with one group or another, or you don't. And two, it'd be, uh, yeah, I think that that's what Jane, Jane represents the people who don't get involved with in these groups and you know she's not on the in crowd uh, 
you know, she has her friends. Also to say that, you know, Andrew is part of that, was part of that group, and now he's, he's sort of slipping in away and joining this other group. Attempting to think about what kind of foils, uh, other literary foils. Uh, Watson. I think it's, uh, is it James Watson or John? So Sherlock Holmes's foil. Always questioning, always suggesting something that turns out to be, you know, it's, it's, say, in the ballpark, but it's, it's not correct. Sherlock Holmes is mentoring, saying, this is my method. And Watson seems to be almost like a tether a tether for a number of in a number of ways that there's a, a a friendship almost like say an unlikely friendship it's a great it seems like there's always great illustrations of this it's like why is watson there just just sort of from my own imagining i think it has to do with you know having having been in the war, coming home, there's that. It's almost like um, culture shock. I can remember going to, to Korea, and to coming back, I had culture shock. Just being somewhere, suddenly realizing just how different, right? Things are similar. We're just sort of waking up to this sort of <laughs> moments of, there's no, you know, there's no English anywhere. Uh, you know, or I haven't seen, you know, uh, a European, whatever, you, however you want to call it, you know, a white person. I haven't seen, you know, any, anything like that. The body language is different and so on and so on and so on. And I think that John Watson coming back from war that there is that, you know, he's got to, he's got to get back and used to, and how does he do this, and he comes across this really strange guy, character, and yet he would make a lot of sense. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is dealing with violence, death. But it, it almost feels like, say, that they might be going in two opposite directions, that, as I say this, I'm saying, <laughs> agreeing with myself, saying, yes, John Watson is he's returning while Sherlock Holmes is kind of leaving and we have this fight with Moriarty at is it Reichenbach? Reichenbach Falls
just having a side project in my mind, thinking how to get rid of some paperwork. And uh, I was like, yeah, I could, I, could, I could shred it, you know, by hand. I can recycle it that way. Yeah, that's it. Uh, instead, of, instead of chucking it in the garbage, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I really wonder if we're going to end up, because the, there was some sort of statement that there, if you were found, like throwing out things that you weren't supposed to throw out, that you would get fined. I, th- I think it's sort of like that gentle massage into it. You know, getting people used to the idea. You know, mom, dad, no, don't, don't put the, don't put the paper in the, in the garbage. You'll get fined. So the, how do, how does how does the foil operate? In a way, they like using Sherlock Holmes and Watson as an example. They're they're foils for each other. I want to give Conan Doyle a lot of credit, but it's much easier, say, for someone, you know, the objective to be standing outside. You know, Doyle is subjective, plus he's dead, so. You know, he can't stand up and say, well, actually, no. <laughs> you know, and, sure, and too, I'm, I'm sure he's left some notes and correspondence. Uh, but Sherlock, you know, John is his foil and then vice versa. I like seeing the uh, later episodes of I think I think the actor actor was Jeremy Brett and for me that's my Sherlock Holmes and I I do like watching say you know more recent uh, adaptations like Sherlock with uh, Cumberbatch But this question of the foil. So the foil, the foil isn't a villain, the, the, but the foil, you know, sort of is a balance, and um, the foil gets in the way. If the foil didn't, it would be kind of a straight journey. There's so much opportunity for conflict. Like, say, why did you tell me to go that way? You know. If we had gone the way that I wanted to go, we would have captured, you know, the villain. There's a huge moral argument going on between uh, the main character and the foil. And to a question of relationship. So this relationship between the two characters and that you know they they want to um, there's something that they're mutually working on and yet you know there's this tug of war they're pulling in different directions 
I like the notion too that say we you know we complicate it. You know, it's not just that this person, the foil, is um, the friend. You know, let's th- let's throw in some uh, romance, right? Let's th- throw in some uh, confusion about that. Let's. It, it could be even to a friend zone, right? Where one character is, you know, into the romance, and the other character is like, no way, not for me. You know, either not interested, or you know, I just burnt up upon re-entry I, I'm not uh, I'm not ready basically just not interested uh, I do like the notion though that say you know the person who's in romance recovery that that there is a struggle there that they want to but they you know they've had such a um, horrible disappointment you know that it's like okay forget it you know no more romance for me. It's just, uh, you know, red wine, chocolate, and, you know, movies that I like. <laughs> and, and a cat or something, right? Cat, dog, something. There's, a, oh, there's so much opportunity for codependence, uh, I've had a codependency of friendships, right, where I've, you know, I'm sort of in a friendship and going, you know, why am I in this friendship, or why am I behaving the way I am in this friendship, uh, and, and two, usually I'm, usually I'm the, the Watson, right, I'm the John Watson, and, you know, here's my Sherlock Holmes, and I'm sitting here going, you know, what, what, what is going on, why am I around, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to think if I have if I've been I'm sure I've been a Sherlock I just didn't know that I was one so th- this is in contrast to the the friends and allies right the you know the happy-go-lucky sidekick like who's going to do everything right there's going to be no complaint And the role of that character is to, and I'm, sim- I'm simplifying it, the role of that character is to, you know, be caught and held hostage, right? Or um, something like that. They become kind of a stakes character, which is another term I've picked up from this story manual, the screenwriting book. So that's their value. So rather than a kind of um, offshoot. Now I'm thinking of, of Robin from Batman and Robin and going, you know, was that... Robin sort of complicates... There's all kinds of complications, like, you know, especially the early Robin, who's this kid. And years later, I was looking at the old comic books and thinking about it, going, wait a second, right? There's a big problem here. This is... Even if Robin is just sort of scouting, uh, if it was only that, 
you know, still there's this threat. And and two, this is <laughs> this is this is hindsight. You know, this is sort of you know a more grown-up sort of realistic look at it. As a kid, you think, "Wow, awesome! Is that possible? How can I? You know, where's my Batman? You know, how can I sign up for this?" Mm, yes, my parents have to die. Okay, mm, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And years later, uh, we have writers, comic book writers, delving into that, delving into the, you know, this questioning it, right? Is this, is this okay? You know, is this, no. (laughs) Well, you know, how does that work? Robin, you know, it escalates, turns him into uh, a young adult, you know, being, you know, taught to uh, maim and, you know, potentially kill people, putting him in harm's way. And uh, this casting a shadow, you know, on the already uh, the shadow on on the Batman. So we're in the in the wrapping up. I think too the talking about the function of the foil that. Foil is a good start, just to sort of generalize and say this is the role of the character. But there's so much more um, to go, you know, during the multiple drafts that one ought to do in the storytelling. Sitting, you know, spending one draft just looking at this relationship and the foil and giving some depth, some roundness to the character and, you know, asking the big questions, you know, letting the foil represent the counter-argument or antithesis. This is getting me thinking of, well, well, why even have a theme is the theme necessary? What does the theme do? You know, does a quote-unquote good story need a theme? My writer friend who said that they don't worry about theme, uh, he's written stories, he's written a number of stories, and I, th- I think that it's, he's in the realm of self-publishing, last we talked. And it did seem like he wasn't interested in a conversation. It was sort of, this was sort of expressing, you know, I'm doing this and it, you know, it's to be accepted for what it is, that there's no conversation past. Um, There were the usual questions of, you know, what did you think of it? But I'm not supposed to, you know, actually do a full-on critique. (laughs) 
there was no theme. <laughs> and, it, and two, it's not true. There's the, there's the theme of intention. You know, it's, it's talking about a, a, a certain thing that's going on in the story. There are moments where the theme kind of bubbles up and, and people will you say, you know, be speaking about what is important in the story. I think it's I think it's inevi- inevitable, like say, even if you don't intend, people are going to read into it. And they're going to say say what it's about. The difference is is that if you're in the driver's seat and saying, this is what the theme is, right, so that it's it's vocalized, it's made quite clear, right, so that people people who are sort of looking for the theme, it's there, right? They don't have to dig around and sort of make a guess and say, I think it's about this. And too, that's part of the the magic of literature and you know, say scholars, essays, arguments, you know, about the meaning of a thing. So we're getting getting closer and closer to the end of the foil, the role of foil, uh, the tinfoil role. Just to go back to our two characters, Jane and, was it Andrew? Just say, thinking about that, that theme that they're both on, Jane is arguing for the side of uh, knowing the truth versus Andrew, who is arguing on the side of not knowing the truth. You know, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth uh, opening up old wounds and all of those other idioms and analogies for knowing, you know, knowing something. Uh, and, and two, there's, there's truth on both sides. You know, sometimes finding out the truth, it wrecks your life. You know, you can no longer, say, be who you were or who you thought you were. I remember watching one movie where it was like, say, you know, Family Secrets, and one character, oh, I'm trying to remember what movie it was. It might have been Chinatown, but one character finds out about uh, her past, and, you know, say, the person who she's trusted all her life finds out is this uh, horrible person, and so on and so forth. And uh, now I'm thinking, ig- ignorance is bliss. So there's another sort of good example for our werewolf guy, Andrew, right? He might say something like that and give an example, right? And, you know, you better be sure that you, you're ready for, you know, what you're going to find out. 
but also balancing it with, well, maybe it's nothing, right? You know, why go and look? It, you know, it might be just nothing. I like to that say this mystery might be this. You know, it will decide sort of which side she's going to be on, if any, right? She might decide, you know, no, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to join any side. Is her friend uh, covering up? There, there's an element of feeling of it, but I always want to subvert. That's my gut instinct. Is, I don't know. Let's not make this easy. But ultimately it comes into the argument of you know, going through, you know, spending one draft on Andrew the werewolf and finding out if, if Andrew has anything to do with this mystery. Does solving this mystery influence um, what's important to him? Uh, beyond the the inside of the character, we have the outside of the character. Uh, he he wants to help his friend, but say you know he's concerned that you know it's going to come back to his family, uh, and two maybe he's uncertain, and, and the uncertainty there's enough uncertainty that he fears the truth. So this is so, so much fodder to to go through and ha- to have these two characters arguing back and forth as as the stakes go up and up and up. That this argument is, you know, I don't want to lose our friendship, quote unquote friendship. You know, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to find out something, right? That is going to mess up my life. You know, there's a there's a level of ego involved. There's a level of uh, how is this going to influence me? That that's part of the voice. I'd like to if this character, this Andrew character, our foil, if he is a kind of mentor, that he is sort of revealing this world, you know, that she never knew about. And he says, you know, this is what's actually going on in your city. And we get to a certain point, though, and we suddenly realize that Andrew is kind of a bottom feeder, right? He's, he's, not, he's not on, you know, the top. And he's actually introduced his friend into, you know, danger. You know, and he's... The excitement playing the role of... Uh, you know, underworld guide has suddenly soured, and uh, there, and two, there's no going back, um, point of no return, which is often the midpoint of the story. It's like you can't can't go back. What else? Just, I, I just like to say, don't be afraid of. Don't be afraid of um, so, something like this. I, I say, em, embrace it, you know, rather than 
saying, you know, oh, I don't want to go down this path. I don't want to spend this time. I don't want to... Uh, I just want to sort of get this thing out of the way and move on. But, but I, say, I say embrace it. The, the panic, the desperation, that's something to be, to fear. <laughs> is, that, is that right? <laughs> I'm thinking now, you know, the only thing to fear is fear itself. There's a great truth in that. You know, how can you, how can you avoid fear, right? And spend time with the manuscript and, you know, just keep, you know, turning it over, looking at it from a different angle, you know, sort of rotate it, focus on one part of it, uh, and then move on to another part of it. One exercise I did that really opened it up for me was to have, um, I think it was like second draft, I, I could feel how uh, weak the supporting cast was. So I, what I did was I uh, alternated the point of view. And so I would sort of highlight, you know, we're focusing on point of view of one character, and then the next chapter we go to, to the next character. And not only did it open it up for me, but I got to see behind the scenes, you know, of, of the next character. And I'm just thinking of one story where I had, I think I had two foils, uh, you know, say the supporting characters were, they, they each had their own agenda. And one of them was very um, nihilistic, but didn't reveal it, right? And there was all of this justification that they had, uh, but they were on the surface. They were playing this part, and originally in the scene I'm thinking of, where they're le- they're leading the main character into danger, and justifying it, but also pretending, you know, sort of giving false information, and, and it just lit up the scene. It's just like, oh my gosh, this person, this character is like malevolent, terrible. How are we doing? Oh, that's it. Thanks for listening. And I, th- I think that's enough of the foil. Take care.